0: My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode number 220 of You Don't Know Flack. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we will be talking about photography. One interesting thing about photography is that pictures are a capture in time, and with emulators, we also have the ability to capture and freeze a moment in time with save states. But that's kind of cheating, and I try not to use save states when I'm playing a game. What I like to do is save uh, where the game allows me to save and then load those uh, saved games back into memory. But the loading takes a minute. And so while I load up this spot of a game I've been playing, boy, am I just fumbling this while I... (laughs) It's time for Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Gosh, it has been a busy few weeks. Uh, If you listen to Sprite Castle, you know that I attended Boat Fest, which was the retro game, retro computing themed get together in Hurricane West Virginia that was uh, organized and thrown by Boat of Car, one of the two hosts of the Amigos podcast. He was assisted by Amigo Aaron, uh who is his co-host on that show and uh, Aaron's brother the Brent helped out and a lot of their friends and and family helped throw this event. Uh it was uh, super fun. It's been a long time since I've been to a retro gaming event and of course uh The last ones that I went to were very large, you know, sometimes hundreds or uh, thousands of attendees. So this was like getting back to the roots, going to a a small gaming event with 30 or 40 people, everybody hanging out in a hotel room, setting up old computers, playing games, talking, sharing information, uh, sharing alcohol, sharing pizza, (laughs) sharing uh, pizza rolls. Or uh, pepperoni rolls, which is something I never had before. I talked about that on Sprite Castle. Uh, It's a staple of the uh, West Virginia area. So just had a, a really great time attending Boat Fest. I think everybody who went said that they plan on attending next year, and I think a lot more people will be attending next year. So we'll see. If Boat is able to have the event in the same place, or as I suspect, he may need to find a slightly larger venue with as much attention as BoatFest has gathered. Now, I drove to BoatFest. Again, that was in Hurricane, West Virginia, which I believe is a 14, 15-hour drive So uh, my wife and I drove up there. We stopped in Rolla, Missouri on the way up there. We went to Hurricane, West Virginia. You know what I need to do? This just reminded me. I need to update. I have on my website, roboheron.com, there is a link somewhere on the main page, if you look hard enough, that has a link to uh, a thing I used to keep track of, which was called Every State I Have Visited. And I kind of stopped updating it when I got to all 50. I've been to all 50 states. So is my wife. So I have both of my children. And I used to, every time I would hit a new state uh, or hit a state, sometimes revisit a state, I would go back and, and update that. So maybe I'll go back and add, uh, especially when I do something memorable in those states, not just drive through or, or stop overnight, something like that. Uh, but we did uh, we stayed in Knoxville one night on our trip. On the way back, we stayed in Little Rock, uh, Arkansas, which was a interesting uh, uh, adventure. Um, in uh, uh, West Virginia, I got to go to the Mothman Museum and the Flatwoods Monster Museum, which is across the street from the West Virginia Bigfoot Museum. It turns out West Virginia has a lot of monsters. Uh, in, um, Alabama, we went to the lost baggage store and I'm not giving a lot of details about these because they could all, uh, to be honest, become, you don't know, flack episodes in the near future. So I might be talking about, uh, revisiting, uh, monsters and cryptids, things like that. I'd like to do a show about that. I'd like to do a podcast about that, but, uh, no time, no time at the end. I also, if you follow me on social media, you probably saw several posts of me whining about falling. While I was in Washington, D.C., I uh, tripped. I fell down a step that led down into a restaurant and uh, fell down onto the concrete, landed on my knees and my elbows. And and then I slid on the concrete, and I still uh, have—one of my knees is still bruised. This has been— Two no, three weeks ago? <laughs> it's crazy. Uh I still have a scam on one of my knees. It's uh man, falling uh when you are in your late forties is not falling like when you were a kid. Like I had no fear when I was a kid. I remember my friends and I climbing up on top of my buddy's roof and jumping off the roof, uh, which now I mean, I I don't even know that I would stop. I would just hit the ground and keep (laughs) going into the earth, (laughs) like knee deep. Um, But uh, yeah, that that kind of stuff doesn't, uh, um, you know, I've mentioned this before, but my wife and I have this joke about like like stepping down off of curbs and being careful, you know, uh, which seems ridiculous, uh, you know, going from jumping off of roofs to being careful when you step off a curb. Uh, So, yeah, it – uh, man, just one – you know what? This is a sign you're getting old when you remember every time you fall. Like when I was a kid, if you were to go, hey, give me a list of every time you fell down, <laughs> I mean, how would you do that? There would be hundreds of, of things, and they would all be uh non-memorable events. But now – like I remember – not only do I remember this one because I've been complaining about it, but I remember the last time I fell hard, which was when I was – uh, back at school doing my master's degree. So it was probably 2016, maybe 2017. And I tripped on a, uh, an uneven piece of concrete on a sidewalk and tripped and fell down. But that, that that's definitely a sign of getting older when you're like, yep, I remember that other time I fell six years ago. Like they become very memorable events. <laughs> Uh, so I'm sure I will be talking about uh, this fall until I fall uh, inevitably again, uh, sometime in the near future. I got a little bit of feedback. I got several uh, comments from the last episode of you don't know flack where I talked about destroying data and data destruction. I had, uh, several people, including one comment from Chris folds, uh, one of my supporters on Patreon who said, that I missed the hillbilly way of destroying data, bonfire. And that is uh, not untrue. (laughs) If you want to destroy a hard drive or floppy disks and things like that that I talked about, some kind of electronics, fire will do it. Now, I don't think it came to mind because I don't have access to a fire pit. You know what I have is we have a, a chimney uh, and we almost never use it because when you put stuff in there to burn, it always leaves stuff at the bottom and you got to scoop it out. And, um, plus where we've put it, we placed it on our patio right underneath the roof of our, of our back porch. And so you, you know, we, you have to move it If you want to have a fire out there. So we never uh, actually use it. We haven't used it. I I don't think we've used it since we moved to this house. We've been here for almost four years now. But yeah, if you have a good fire pit, you have a place like that, you want to get rid of a couple of hard drives. I don't think it would be worth going through the effort of setting up a fire pit to destroy one hard drive. But if you already have that a fire pit or a furnace or something like that already set up, then absolutely that, that will take care of your problem for you. Um, Joe Shripa uh, also suggested to me, he said, haven't you ever microwaved a CD-ROM? Try it for two seconds and see what happens. Well, I think everybody, uh, remembers in the early days of the internet that was going around about uh, microwaving CD-ROMs. I remember I was too afraid to try it at home, so I did it at work with our work microwave. I put an AOL CD in the microwave and set it for about 30 seconds, and after about two or three, it just starts sparking and arcing because uh, of the metal, and you're not supposed to microwave metal. Um, I'll be honest with you. I guess it um, also does burn the CD, and so uh, that probably would ruin if you're trying to get rid of uh, data from a CD-ROM that would probably do it. But, um, CD-ROMs are just so fragile (laughs) that it just doesn't seem like, like it would, you know, you need to go to those links and also you would need, uh, someone else's microwave. I'm not sure that's good for a microwave, but, uh, yep. If, uh, if you need to get rid of, uh, CD ROM information, that would certainly do it. So uh but anyway, lots of fun times talking about that stuff. Glad uh, that I went on the road trip and glad to be home and back here in Flack Studios. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RoboHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is area code 405 486 YDKF. If you'd like to support my shows, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get access to behind the scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit that page. Again, it is patreon.com. Forward slash Rob O'Hara. And now my fake file has loaded. <laughs> so loading time is over, and we can get started with this episode, which is photography. I cannot begin a discussion of photography without saying how lucky I am to have had parents who uh, were interested in photography and took hundreds and hundreds of pictures of my sister and I while we were growing up and saved those pictures. I, of course, run in retro circles and people talk about, oh, I remember uh, having a train under my tree, or I remember dressing up as this character from Halloween, or I remember having these toys when I was a kid. And I have photographs of all of those things. I have photographs from every Christmas. I have pictures from every Halloween costume, most uh, Halloween costumes, um, from going on vacations, from going on trips, from visiting family members. My parents took a ton of photographs. And then my mom saved them and put them in photo albums, which I have borrowed over time and scanned in all the photos that pertain to my, my memories. I should probably scan in the other ones of family members that I don't necessarily know. But, um, but anyway, I do not take that for granted. I feel so lucky. My wife, uh, her father took a lot of pictures. Um, but her, after he passed away, the photos were not taken care of. Uh, all of her family photos have been ruined. So, uh, other than a very, very small handful, we're talking probably, um, you know, a dozen or two dozen, uh, pictures. She does not have photographs of her childhood. So, uh, for me to have access to hundreds and hundreds of photos, Uh, of my childhood and my teenage memories and and things like that. I am just super grateful for. Uh, Again, I do not take that for granted. Um, My dad loved taking pictures. He had a fancy Canon, uh, probably a Canon AE-1, I believe. A camera from when, uh, when I was a kid and he was always taking pictures, uh, for as long as I can remember, he, he took pictures of, uh, my sister and I at holidays. He took pictures of the cars we owned, of the houses we owned, uh, the vacations that we went on. Uh, he was always taking pictures. And again, all these, these pictures ended up, uh, being saved, uh, and stored over time. One of my earliest memories, At our new house. So this was probably, uh, the Christmas around in the fall of 1977, 78 was uh, probably 78 was, uh, my dad setting his camera up on a tripod outside and doing some sort of, uh, time-lapse or, or long exposure, Photo to try to take pictures of the moon. So this was definitely photography was a hobby of my dad's. Now he never developed his own photos or anything like that. Uh, just you know took pictures and took them to either one hour <laughs> one hour photo which we used to do um, uh, back when I was younger, or uh, you know drop them off somewhere and have them developed. But uh, so he wasn't into the development the, that side of the photography, but he was into. Um, taking the pictures. Now, my mom, I remember had a, uh, a Polaroid and one of those instant cameras. And so I remember her taking pictures at birthday parties, um, some other things like that, where she would take Polaroid pictures. I have a few Polaroid pictures that she took of my star Wars collection or at a birthday party, things like that. So I don't think she was quite as. Uh, into the technical side of photography, but she definitely uh also took pictures uh, using a camera Now we got a video camera very early on. I've talked about this we got a black and white video camera uh in nineteen seventy eight with our first v c r and then later, just a few years later, we got a portable uh v c r when I say portable. I want to say it was about 20 pounds. You carried it over your shoulder and it had a camera that attached to it. So the VCR and the camera were two separate things. Uh, But my mom really um, took to taking videos. Uh, She would set up the camera at birthday parties where we would go, like we would go to the zoo and my mom would take the, uh, the video camera, which she took, I remember she took the video camera one time to the 4th of July um uh, fireworks and and made a video of the fireworks so um so I don't remember her taking as many pictures later on um uh, my dad continued to take pictures but my mom was more into taking video and so um and that that's that's just as great and so not only do we have all these pictures from uh, my childhood, but I also have access to all these videos, which I have since digitized. So um, I I do, I mean, I can't stress enough how lucky I feel to have uh, all these things at my disposal. The first camera that I remember owning was around seventh grade. It was probably a, a birthday present, maybe for sixth or seventh grade um disposable and it wasn't disposable like today what we would think of like disposable like literally but it was a cheap um camera that was shaped I don't know how to describe it it would be um like if you said it was shaped like a uh, an ice cream bar you know <laughs> like that kind of shape um that had a little slide where you could look through the little uh, thing uh, I actually had that I would say earlier than that although Film, film, uh, and this is something I want to talk about, but film was a, a, a finite resource. When you bought a roll of film, it had X amount of photos on it, 24 photos or 36 photos or whatever. So you didn't want to just get a thing of film and run around all one day and take all the pictures, you know. So you would savor, (laughs) I would savor, uh, these pictures you could take for special events. So, uh, for example, I have a picture. One of my favorite pictures from my childhood bedroom, uh, is of two of my neighbors and they're holding a sign that says 1983. And I, I think we made that, uh, picture on new year's day and we took, um, like ribbon, uh, uh, tractor feed paper from my dad's, uh, computer printer and hand wrote a sign that said 1983. And I had them stand up in my, uh, bedroom and hold that sign up. And in the background, you could see all the posters I had on my room at that time. A lot of, uh, Star Wars posters, a King Kong poster, <laughs> um, a lot of other things like that. So, uh, so, um, uh, but, but I didn't take a lot of pictures. Like I don't have a lot of pictures that I personally took. Most of the pictures are of uh, me and my family, but not ones that I took. But that's, that's definitely a a photo that I remember taking uh, in, in the star Wars podcast. I probably talked about this as well, but um, I was in enrolled in boy Scouts when I was uh, around this age, this would have been, you know, 82, 83. So I would have been nine, 10 years old, somewhere around there. And, Uh, We had an assignment to bring something that we collected to a Boy Scout meeting, and I wanted to bring my Star Wars collection, but even then it was way too large uh, to bring to a meeting. And so my mom took a picture of me standing next to my toy box with all my Star Wars stuff out on display. My toy box uh, was a toy box my dad built that had these shelves above it where I could display all my toys. Um, And I have a, a scan of that. Uh, picture, You know, again, it's a, a Polaroid that my mom took. But uh, wh- what a great frozen moment in time of like the uh, uh, collection, all the things that I had. And what's great is when you scan these things in at a high enough resolution, you can really zoom in and see details that are difficult to see when you're looking at the actual photograph. You know, I can zoom in on this photo and actually see little toys that I forgot that I own that are all in this one picture. So um, so that, that's uh, a cool picture that I still have. So anyway, back to this camera, I got this camera around sixth or seventh grade. Uh, I had a book on photography. I feel like I owned the book, but I also feel like it came from a library. Now our library occasionally had um, book sales. So maybe it came from a book sale from a library. It's possible that it came from a garage sale. My mom was a, uh, connoisseur of garage sales. So it may have come from that. I remember the book felt a little dated, like I was looking at it in the eighties and all the outfits and hairstyles were from the seventies, but, uh, it talked about, uh, the basics of photography, like taking photos of things up close and taking photos of things far away. And, uh, I remember, the, there are two things that I remember specifically about that book. The first one was the rule of thirds. Um, if you're not familiar with the rule of thirds, it is something that will help your photography um, just infinitely make your photos better, which is um, the the easiest way to, to think about it is to not put uh, the subject of your photo directly in the middle. Uh, We used to do this a lot in uh, yearbook class when I was in high school, but basically if you take a, imagine like a tic-tac-toe grid and put it, uh, lay it over your photo and you have four areas where lines intersect, those four little corners that are outside the square that would appear right in the middle of your photo. And if you could put the subject of your photo in one of those four areas, that's kind of the rule of thirds. That's that's, uh, how the rule of thirds works. Um, the other thing, I mean, there were some basic things in there, like you want to have someone looking into the photo, not looking out of the photo. So in other words, if your your subject, let's say is to the far left hand side of your photograph, you want them looking to the right. You want them looking into the space where people, um, that are viewing your picture are also going to be looking. You don't want somebody on the far left facing left where they're looking out of the photo and then everything that's in the picture is what's behind them you know so it's just uh, uh some little hints like that that probably made my photography slightly less horrible i was not great at um taking pictures uh, the other thing i remember about that book is it had a chapter on trick photography and there was one photo in there that had a guy uh, like two kids And one of them was standing really far away in a field. And the other one was standing up close and he was holding his hand out. So it looked like his friend was standing in the palm of his hand and really small. Uh, Of course, this predates Photoshop by, you know, 10 or 20 years, whatever. Um, But it was a, uh, you know, just a way to do like um, trick photography by using a depth of field kind of trick. And so I remember... Uh, you know, seeing that and just thinking that was really fun. And I, I tried a few of those photos, but it was always kind of hard because, uh, you had to use this little viewfinder and, and it was uh, difficult, it's much easier now in the digital realm, as we all know, to, uh, edit photos. Um, you know, back then there was no editing, there was no I mean, if you took a picture that was too bright or overexposed or underexposed, too dark, too bright, whatever, that was it. <laughs> you just had um, you just had one shot. Now that camera I took with me in 7th grade, uh my parents uh, signed me up for one of those school field trips that goes to Washington, D.C., a trip where you go, like a charter trip, you go and and you spend four or five days in Washington, D.C., they take you to the Capitol and to see all the monuments and, and uh, uh, learn a little bit about, uh, I mean, you're supposed to learn about the government, but uh, I think, like, we just learned about hanging out at the arcade at the mall, I, and that's not true. Uh, I do remember going to the Smithsonian's and having a great time. Um, But the first day that we were in Washington, D.C., my roommate and I uh, went to go swim at the hotel swimming pool and we didn't want to carry all our stuff down there. So we stuck our room keys right underneath the very edge of our door And then uh, that way, when we came back, we wouldn't have to carry all this stuff in our swimming trunks. We could just reach right under the edge of the door and get our room key. And when we came back from swimming, our room door was wide open and all of our stuff had been gone through. And my camera, along with my uh, wallet, which my wallet just had cash in it, but, uh, my wallet was gone. My camera was gone. I lost all that stuff. So, uh, I did not, unfortunately, I didn't get to take any pictures on that vacation as well. Also, I had to borrow money from our school's librarian <laughs> so that I could eat and watch it to DC. Uh, so that's what happened to my camera. Um, I don't think that I had another camera, all throughout high school, like seventh or eighth grade through graduating high school, I did not own a camera. Which think about that compared to today. Imagine uh, a kid not taking any pictures from uh, seventh grade to to graduating high school. Now I would I would I can't even imagine what a number would be. How many photos my kids have taken? I mean thousands seems low. Like it could be tens of thousands of pictures. You know, my kids went through the phase. Everybody went through, um, taking pictures of their food. I'd still sometimes take pictures of my food, <laughs> which is a strange thing that we do now in society. And Jake Johansson, who's a really funny comedian, has a whole bit about that, where he would take pictures of his food and even show it to people. And he would say, I'm about to make some more of me with this, (laughs) which is a a funny idea. Um, But uh, yeah, it it just seems, it's so weird how this has changed in just a short amount of time. Uh, You know, thinking about people that would go, imagine, imagine right now going one year without taking a photo. Like that just seems unfathomable. And back then, I mean, I went my whole high school time and didn't take any photos um, so uh, and not to say that I don't have photos like my parents again took some photos of that era but I personally didn't take a single picture so uh, it's just kind of odd now uh, my my uh, in high school I was in our um, or on the staff of my high school' yearbook we didn't really have a newspaper but we did have uh, a yearbook. And so I remember that there were a couple of people, uh, who were photographers for the yearbook and they would take pictures and then they would develop them and they always hung out in the dark room. And if you weren't, uh, on the photography staff, you didn't get to hang out in the dark room. And so the dark room became this kind of desirable, cool hangout place, uh, that was exclusive. Only a few people got to hang out in the dark room. So I always kind of wanted to do that, but I never, I never really did. Now, when I went, uh, to community college, a couple of years after high school, I, uh, became the editor of both my college's newspaper and yearbook. And, uh, so both years I was, had to work closely and was good friends with the photography editors because I was the the editor. So I would say, Hey, listen, I got to have this kind of photo for the front page, or we need a photo for this story. And they would go around and take pictures. And, uh, so I ended up hanging out a lot in the dark room and I was right. It was the cool place to hang out. You know, when I, my uh, sophomore year, there were, uh, two guys, Chabon and, uh, and Jim and they were the two staff photographers and they listened to beastie boys and led zeppelin and ministry and all kinds of crazy music and uh would always have music go in the uh in the dark room and hanging out in there and um uh sometimes it smelled like weed i don't know <laughs> it was an interesting interesting place but uh but yeah we didn't want other people hanging out in the dark room but as the editor i was able to go in there and hang out quite a bit so um, yeah, that was, uh, uh, definitely being on that staff, uh, photographers were different than writers. That's what I would say is that, you know, all the, the people that wrote for the newspaper were, uh, people who wanted to be writers, wanted to be reporters, wanted to have a career in journalism, all that stuff. Uh, the photography guys, I'm not saying they weren't good at taking photos, but I don't think they had those same aspirations. I don't think anybody, uh, any of the photographers Wanted to grow up and be photographers. I think they wanted, you know, a cool thing to do while they were in college and hang out, and and that certainly uh, fit the bill. Now, uh, in nineteen after I went to that college for two years, uh, in the fall of nineteen ninety three, I moved in uh, with Susan, and you know, when you move in with someone else, you kind of do that intermingling of stuff, which I hated for a long time. I had two, we had two, um, uh, shelves for CDs. I had all my CDs and then she had her CDs. I didn't want to mix them. <laughs> I didn't want to have our CD collection. I just wanted my CDs separate from her CDs. Um, But, uh, but there were things that, you know, she brought into the house and then I brought into the house, uh, that kind of became community property. And one of those things was, I mean, not that this was community property. It was definitely hers. Uh, but her father who had passed away was also really into photography and he had a really nice, uh, Canon camera with uh, several lenses. He had a, like a photography bag, you know, and, uh, Um, so that was in the house and while, and so when I moved in with Susan, I switched to a different, uh, a different college. And so when I moved over there, uh, I decided to take a photography class. And so I enrolled in this photography class in college. Um, and we would get different assignments every week. He would say, okay, you know, this week you got to take a picture of an animal or this week you have to take a picture of a, a car, a moving car. And we would learn Different techniques like, oh, you've got to adjust your shutter speed for this, or this is when you would use a flash, or this is when you don't use a flash, that sort of thing. Um, So I remember there was one uh, assignment that was a still life assignment, and we had gone to – Susan and I had gone to the local cemetery, and we found like a little vase of flowers, and we put it – we moved it, and we put it near someone's headstone, and I had this uh, pellet gun – and uh we leaned the pellet gun up against the the tombstone, you know, so I had this uh and the the pellet gun looked like a real gun, and so I had this this gun and these flowers and a tombstone, and I took this picture and it was uh i mean it was a well compositioned well composed photo, everything was balanced, the colors were good, everything was good and I remember developing that and turning it in and the the uh, professor said, "This is an interesting photo. what are you trying to say here and I was like, "Huh, I don't know." Like, I'm not trying to say anything. I just put all this stuff here, and he, and you know, he he explained to me. He was like, "You know, you don't just put random stuff together in a picture and take a picture. Like, if you're trying to say like this was an accident, or that, you know." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I didn't really I hadn't thought about that <laughs> up until that point about trying to tell a story." with a photograph. I just thought a photograph was of, was a photograph. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that you might want to actually tell a story. You know, you didn't necessarily just take a picture of a birthday cake. You took a picture of a kid blowing out the candles, of the cake or staring at the first slice of cake that that idea that that the photograph is more than just a uh, a snapshot a, f- a freeze frame that uh, the photograph tells a story just like writing a story does uh, so that that kind of made an impact on me in regards to f- photography and taking pictures and telling stories um, we did develop our own photos in, in that class and one of his uh it was weird it 's weird these things the professor one of the things he would say was uh, the hardest thing to capture is a bird in flight <laughs> and you know back then it was kind of hard because you know we had normal uh like an s l r camera uh, so, so it didn't have any kind of burst mode or anything. So you just have to like, hope that you were in focus and try to catch a bird that was flying and you're moving the camera and the birds flying and all that. Now, I mean, it's not that hard. <laughs> I've got a decent camera that takes, you know, I don't know what it does, like 20 pictures a second or something. And, and it's auto focus and, and, uh, uh, you see a bird and you just kind of randomly point at it and, uh, you know, you'll probably get a good shot, <laughs> but he was right back then. It was, uh, much more difficult. I took a lot of weird photos while I was in that class. I took a, I remember taking a photo of, uh, like some roadkill one time and I laid down on the road. I remember Susan had pulled over. And so I was just laying on the road and I was like, what, don't let me get run over, like watch for cars. And, and uh, I don't even think I turned it in, you know, I went and, uh, uh, like printed it out and and I was like, What you know what am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I digging pictures of weird stuff for no reason so i don't, I don't think I did anything with that picture. That was a weird picture um, so in nineteen ninety four is when I started working for Best Buy, and at Best Buy was when I really got exposed. To flatbed scanners, uh, I think that was you know seeing those for sale they were they were out of my price range at the time, but I remember seeing them and I came up with this let's call it a scam uh, that I told the um, the manager that I could bring my computer and I could work like late night or overnight or something, and I was gonna scan in software titles and then upload them to the Best Buy website or make a website to show people. I'm sure the manager had no idea what I was talking about and didn't care. He was just like, whatever you want to do. So I brought my computer to Best Buy. Uh, The security guy put a tag on it to show it was my computer. And I got to set it up in the little manager's office and I scanned in some software boxes, and I scanned in some sales ads. I don't know what I what I was doing. But I'd also brought a bunch of my photos from home, and I was able to scan in a bunch of our photographs. And that was really um, the, uh, the, the motivation behind this little project was being able to use one of Best Buy's scanners and scan in my photos. So that was really, I think, the first time where I was able to capture – my photographs that I had into a computer, and of course I've had to redo all those scans because the the quality is so low uh, compared to today's standards you know photos that are you know five hundred pixels by three fifty or something I mean just like incredibly small pictures like too small for me to use on my blog really um so uh but that was the first time that I scanned in photos and I started making a you know, digital, quote unquote, digital pictures, right? Um, so, around this time, I don't, you know, I, I'm just throwing this story in here because it has to do with photography. But in uh, August of 1995 is when Susan and I got married, and uh, there was a, a friend of hers, I'm just going to call him M, who came to take pictures of our wedding. And this was a, a guy that we had gone to high school with and was friends with Susan and was just starting his photography business. And so, uh, he, he said, Hey, listen, I'll come to your wedding and I'll take all these photos. And he knew all the photos to take, you know, uh, I didn't know anything about a wedding. I, I barely, you know, I knew I was supposed to show up and not screw it up. That's what I did. Uh, but, um, Knew all the the right photos, like the picture of me and the groomsmen and the picture of Susan and her bridesmaids and the picture, you know, the picture of Susan and, and uh, myself standing side by side with uh, my parents and with her mom, you know, those sorts of things. Like he knew all the right pictures to take and and took some pictures of the groom's cake and the the wedding cake and things like that. So, uh, took, took, uh, you know, decent pictures. I don't remember if there's 24, 36, something like that, but, uh, um, I mean, today, if you were to do it, you would shoot a thousand. I actually shot a wedding uh, my uh, my buddy Jeff, who I talk about on Sprite Castle all the time, his sister got married a few years ago, six or seven years ago, and asked if Susan and I would come and uh, photograph the wedding so Susan uh, was in charge of all the formal type photos, and I took all the i don't know i wouldn't call it casual photos but um You know, just walking around, taking pictures of the party, of people talking, those sorts of things. Uh, I think we gave them – it was definitely several hundred, if not a thousand photos of their wedding. So that's how you would do it today with digital photography, right? Uh, But back then, we got 24 photos of our wedding and he gave us uh, prints that were – either three by five or, or four by six uh, sized prints. Uh, and then based on those prints, we were supposed to order which ones we wanted of different sizes. Like if we wanted a large photo of, of the two of us in the chapel or, or, you know, of, of us and our family, those, those, that sort of thing. The problem was we had, were still, we were in this mode. Like I had to take off work from pizza hut, <laughs> Uh, to get married and go on a honeymoon, you know, um, we had no money at all. And so, uh, we had kind of dragged our feet. Now, let's see. That's not true. That's not true. When I got married, uh, I was at the FAA, but I'd only been at the FAA for, um, four months. Uh, so we were not, uh, we were not financially stable at that point, uh, either way. And so, um, it took us a few months and, uh, around Christmas time, we contacted the photographer and said, Hey, we're ready to, we've got some money. Our parents are giving us some money. People want photos. And the photographer guy said, you know what? The business didn't work out. So I got rid of everything. I threw away all your negatives. Um, and that's that. So, uh, you know, I come from a long line of grudge holders, and I probably should forgive this guy, but it wouldn't have taken that much effort on his part to just give the negatives to us. that would have been nice, so that we could get uh prints or reprints or large prints of the photos of uh our wedding, so we don't have any of that what I have is a small stack of 24 pictures that this guy took at our wedding. Now, with modern scanners, where you can scan photographs in at 300 DPI or 600 DPI, I have amazingly detailed scans of these photos. I have them stored in multiple places, and we can make large prints based off of those scans. So it's not the end of the world, but it really is representative of that era in which it's not like uh I mean today if you think about oh there was a, a terrible event on the news and then you go to CNN and there's footage from three different angles or any concert that happens i can go on youtube and type in a concert, and immediately there's cell phone footage of that concert. So everybody has a camera with them today. Everybody has a cell phone with them today. And so there's no shortage of photos. If if I were to get married today and something happened to the photos for the photographer, I guarantee there would be a lot of other photos of the wedding. <laughs> People there would be taking pictures with their phones. And so it wouldn't uh, be as tragic. But uh, it, it's, it's just kind of weird about that time era. I mean, again, this is, uh, mid nineties where there was one guy there with a camera and one guy took pictures and that's it. And there's one copy of those pictures, one copy of the photographs there. <laughs> there are no duplicate copies. Um, now there are digitally digital, uh, copies of them, but just a, a weird kind of, uh, moment in time to reflect, uh, back on in 1996, I got a digital camera. I got a Kodak digital science, DC 50 zoom camera, a zoom, not being a brand zoom, meaning it had the ability to zoom in. And that was so important that that was part of the name of the camera. Imagine if you had an iPhone today and you had to tell someone it takes pictures and also it zooms. (laughs) Um, Now, the DC 40 was the predecessor of the Kodak digital camera uh, and it did not zoom. (laughs) It had a static fixed lens depth and that was it. So that's probably why uh, they put the word zoom in the title, but the uh, model number was the DC 50. And uh, I looked up the specs of this thing. Uh, Number one, right off the bat, it was 750. the, uh, The photos that it took, the resolution was 756. By five oh four, uh, so less than what was SVGA eight hundred by six hundred, less than that. Uh, so I can immediately tell any digital photo that I took with this camera because they're all that slightly odd resolution of seven fifty six by five oh four. The dimensions, the physical dimensions of the camera, six inches wide four and a half, actually 4.7 inches deep, and 2.5 inches tall. Uh, even though it only had one lens on the outside, it was almost the size of a pair of binoculars. That's what it looked like when you looked at this. When I uh, look at pictures of this thing, it reminds me of the binoculars that Luke is using at the very beginning of Star Wars. Now, that that's cut out of... Uh, well, it's cut kind of out of the beginning of Star Wars. You can find photos of that. But uh, the thing that he uses later when he's looking for uh, R2-D2 and R2-D2 is lost on Tatooine, and he pulls out his uh, space binoculars, that's what this digital camera looked like. It looked like a big, giant thing. Like, there is no stealth photography um, with, with this thing. Uh, it says that it weighed 1.16 pounds without batteries. In parentheses, it says 525 five grams. Uh, so it, again, not small, not light. It says it would focus, the closest it would focus is, or the focus depth, this is what it says, 2.3 feet to infinity. So you weren't, you couldn't focus on anything that was closer than two and a half feet to you. So this was not for taking uh, macro photography. Huh? <laughs> you weren't going to take pictures of your D and D miniatures with this thing. Uh, it also says that on the built in memory, the DC 50 zoom camera can store seven to 22 pictures. Uh, now there was a separate card, and uh, I didn't write down the model number of the card, but it says you can read it on your computer using a PCMCIA adapter. So this uh, predates anything like compact flash. And it doesn't matter because I don't think I had the card. I think um, that I only used the internal memory. It came with a serial cable not a usb not a universal serial cable um this is a regular old serial cable like a 9 you know pin adapter and so uh if you remember if if you're this old and i'm this old uh, you remember that you couldn't just plug in a serial cable while the computer was on. I mean, you could, but the computer wouldn't recognize it. It had to be plugged in and the device had to be turned on when you booted. So if you wanted to get the pictures, download the pictures off of the camera, you had to turn the camera on, plug the serial cable in, and then either turn your computer off or just reboot. And then when you rebooted, it would recognize uh, the serial cable, and you were able to download your 7 to 22 pictures at 756 by 504 pixels <laughs> onto the computer. This camera cost $899. Now, I there's no way that I paid $899 for this. I believe that my dad somehow upgrade. He had this and maybe upgraded to another camera, and then I think I paid him like a partial, I want to say I paid about 500 for this camera. That's, that's what I remember in my head. Um, but I mean, what an amazing device. There was no more, um, taking photos and then with a, a film camera and wondering if they turned out and then taking your, your film to the, uh, one hour moto photo and then getting it developed. And then, uh, you know, waiting uh, weeks or months, uh, until you're, you would taken an entire roll of pictures to go get it developed. No, this was instant. This was, you take a picture with a digital camera and then you run to the computer and then you reboot your computer <laughs> that you, you copy the picture over and you see what you got. It was amazing. It was so cool. Um, Now, another item that I owned around this time was called a Snappy. Now, Snappy was one of the neatest little devices that I had ever seen. Uh, The people, uh, some people that own them, I mean, everybody that has one remembers these things so fondly. It was such a a, uh, a cool little thing. It was this little external box, it was about the size, like if you like a, a Commodore 64 modem or something like that. Like it was a, a long, slender, uh, little blue box that plugged into the parallel port. Uh, it had a little case where you had to put a 9-volt battery inside it. And on the side of the Snappy, it had a composite input. And so, no, not composite. Uh, yeah, composite. I'm thinking composite versus component. Yes. Uh, and so what this allowed you to do is it was essentially uh, a capture, video capture device, uh, but not for capturing video. What it was intended to do is you could hook up your camcorder. Uh, my, I had a camcorder uh, at this point that had RCA outs, so you could plug the RCA cables out into a VCR and you could dub Uh, your home movies onto a regular-sized VHS tape. And so what you would do is use the video out, uh, RCA video out of your camcorder or VCR and run it to, uh, using RCA cables, run it to the input on the side of the snappy. And then you would use their software and you could take a screenshot from your video. And so this was I was sure this was the future because why would you need normal photography or why would you need a digital camera when you could go to a, a, a sporting event or to a museum and just take video of everything? And then when you got home, plug it into your snappy and you could take all the stills that you wanted. Um, now I have a folder and my, uh, I have a, a folder on my server called digital photos and There's a folder in there called Snappy, and it's from all the screenshots that I took with my Snappy. They're easily identifiable. They are all 640 by 480, Um, and the quality is okay, uh, but they all look like screenshots from VHS tapes. So just depending on how good the the camera looked at the time is really how good the uh, photos came out using Snappy. Uh, Snappy did come with some different uh, software packages of one was a thing. I think it was by Griffin or, or it was named Griffin, but it was a morphing program. And so you could put, uh, two pictures you took and try to morph them together. And, um, uh, this was right after uh, Michael Jackson's black or white video where the people morphed at the end. So that was the dream is that we would all be able to do that. Uh, but, uh, it never, never seemed to, uh, work out very well for me. So I had that Sony, uh, DC 50 camera, which was okay. The quality wasn't very good, but I eventually got a digital camera that looked like, um, a camera, uh, not a, uh, not one with a a focal lens on the front, you know, not like a SLR, but like a, an instant camera. This was a camera that the front slid open and a little lens came out and it was an Olympus D460 which I looked up was a 1.3 megapixel camera uh it had 1280 by 960 resolution um I don't remember if that was the photo or was the uh, camera that I had when my kids were born when Mason was born uh, in 2001, I might have upgraded to one of these other cameras that I have, uh, listed here, but, uh, I do have a funny story about when, uh, Mason was born. I'm fast forwarding here a little bit, uh, but in two, he was born in 2001, right? Uh, in, uh, in December, right around Christmas. And I had a goal of getting pictures of him to my coworkers as quickly as possible. Uh, I also had a website at that time. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was a lot of static HTML, stuff like that, but I did have a website at that time. Uh, and I also wanted to get pictures, uh, you know, of, of him posted online. And so, uh, I took, you know, right after he was born, I took a few pictures of him and then, uh, you know, I could probably, well, I'm not going to do it right now. I won't, I won't do it live, but, uh, uh I was going to say, I could look at those photos and look at the resolution and figure out which camera I had, uh, at the time. But, um, you know what? I will do that. I'm looking at the properties of one of those pictures right now and under, uh, c- uh, camera model, which is some of the, uh, additional information that it has stored here. It says Olympus digital camera and the resolution says 1280 by 960. So it was definitely, uh, this camera. It was my Olympus D460. Um, So right after he was born, I took several pictures of Susan holding him and and the pictures of his face. And then the minute that the doctor said, "Okay, now we're going to take him away. You guys stay here. Chill out. You know, that moment when they when they take your kid and they clean him up and they do all that stuff. Um, When they did that, I had a laptop at the uh, uh, hospital room and I unplugged the phone and plugged in my modem and I uh, had written an email and attached these photos, a couple of the photos, and I emailed it to some coworkers of mine. I had to dial up over a dial up modem and email the pictures and It took about five minutes uh, and Then I went onto my website and posted uh, one of those pictures of Mason on my website, so it took me about five minutes, and everybody could not believe the speed at which that happened that I had had taken a photo. Uh, and had it online within five minutes. It, it just seemed, uh, like an unbelievable thing at that time. It was really a, a challenge. By the way, when, um, my daughter was born, which was, uh, four years later, uh, I had, uh, a laptop with, uh, Wi-Fi. And I believe, uh, what I had done was taken a picture with, um, I don't remember if it would have been with a cell phone and not a cell phone yet. I don't think not a smartphone. Um, but I was I remember that I used uh, right across the street from the hospital is a Chipotle and they had Wi Fi and so if I went to the corner of the hospital's property, I could hit the Chipotle free Wi Fi and that's how I sent out pictures. Uh, I, I didn't have uh, I must not have had cellular service. I remember I had to get on the Wi Fi to do that. So. Uh, of course, if you uh, have a child today, you take 9,000 pictures and you put them on Facebook immediately. So uh, that that's definitely uh, something that has changed with the uh, digital photography. Um, in the next section that I wrote here, I have uh, multiple cameras that I just uh, lumped together. Uh, two of them were the Samsung Digimax, uh, which was a 5.1 megapixel that is 2592 by 1944 resolution. And then a Canon PowerShot A710, which was a seven megapixel camera. That's uh, about 3000 by 2300 roughly. Um, and, and I don't really have any solid memories of those, uh, other than when I, I looked through my camera, my digital photo folder on my server and, uh, I definitely have uh, photos that were taken with those. When I look online, they look somewhat familiar. So uh, they must have been just upgrades that I took along, uh, you know, bought upgraded cameras along the way, but uh, not anything that I had any sentimental attachment to. Uh, From there, I migrated to. um, I started getting cell phones that had cameras in them and not iPhones. The first one was a Palm Trio. 650, which I was a, um, a big fan of Palm pilots. And so when you could get a Palm trio, which was like a combination of Palm pilot and a phone built in, I jumped on board that. Unfortunately it was a pretty crappy phone. So I upgraded from there to the Samsung blackjack and I used that for a little bit. And, uh, I have some pictures Take it with that thing, and none of them are very good. Um, but uh, in fact, I, I wrote a little note here and said this was around the time that I started wearing cargo shorts <laughs> because I would always have my wallet in a pocket, and I would have my keys in a pocket, and I would have my Palm Pilot in a pocket, and I would have my cell phone in a pocket, and I would, you know, just you had all these things to carry uh, with you all the time. Uh, and then, uh, it looks like in December of 2009 is when I got my first iPhone. I got an iPhone three GS, which had a resolution of 2048 by 1536. And I have owned, uh, many iPhones since then. I don't buy one every year. I buy them, uh, basically when, uh, Apple tells me that they're making my phone obsolete, so I know i had a i had an iphone three a four a six uh i believe maybe an eight and then uh, I have an iphone eleven pro uh now which does uh, it's not the best camera on the market anymore but it is a twelve megapixel camera that does uh, that's forty two forty seven by twenty eight twenty six uh resolution um now around the time that I bought my first iPhone, I also bought my first DSLR uh, camera. So this is not a uh, like an instant digital camera. This is a digital camera that looks like a traditional camera with a, a body and interchangeable lenses. And this was the Pentax KX camera. Now, the reason that I bought, one of the reasons, not that I bought it, but the reason it caught my attention is because, uh, the original Pentax KX came out, uh, I believe the first one I saw was white. So the whole camera was white with black trim and it looked just like a stormtrooper. And I thought, man, that's a cool looking camera. Um, but then they released a couple of other colors and one was red. And I just thought that was the neatest looking camera. Uh, I have probably been stopped by, I don't know, several dozen people while out taking pictures, people will go, where did you get that red camera? So it's a, uh, definitely draws attention and it has interchangeable lenses. So, you know, it came with a traditional, like a, I don't know what it is, a 55 millimeter lens. And then I got uh, a big zoom lens and a couple other things for it. Uh, I think around the time that it came out, they were, I don't know. More than five hundred dollars. It was pretty. It was a pretty big investment, but uh, I just wanted a professional quality uh, camera, and it is twelve point four megapixels. So it's almost exactly the same as my iPhone that I have today. It's forty two eighty eight by twenty eight forty eight. It's all. I mean, within um, a couple dozen pixels, it's the same as my iPhone. Um, but it takes better photographs than my iPhone. It's it's um, and it has to do and I'm not a, a camera expert, but it has to do mostly with the sensor uh, that is built in because uh, DSLR cameras like SLR cameras have a much larger sensor than what your phone has. So the comparing megapixels, isn't always the best comparison uh, because there are phones that have more megapixels that don't take photos as well as other cameras. Now, and uh, there's a uh, lots of articles from the late 20 teens, 2016, 2017, where people say, "Will cell phone cameras ever be better than DSLRs?" And the answer is unequivocally no. A cell phone camera, this is uh, five years ago opinion, cell phone cameras will never be as good as DSLR cameras. <clears throat> um, about a month ago, Sony released a article that said, um, and I'm doing some quoting here, Uh, Sony is on the cutting edge of mobile camera technology, and a recent report from Japan indicates that the company believes its breakthroughs will see smartphones match and overtake the capabilities of DSLR and mirrorless cameras as soon as 2024. So that would be within the next uh, year and a half to two years. Now, anybody could say that, right? But uh, what they are doing is – basically because a DSLR or SLR camera is physically larger, it can have a larger sensor. And so that controls how much light you could get and how much light you get is how you get your dynamics of the photo. So even a cell phone with more pixels is not going to have better quality because the sensor is smaller than the one on on those other cameras, right? Uh, Because you could only, I mean, the most you could get is a one-to-one ratio. Well that's what they the breakthrough is is that sony has come up with a sensor that provides a better than one-to-one ratio uh when it comes to gathering light so they haven't made a larger sensor which has always been the goal they have made a uh, enhanced sensor if you will and more um effective sensor and with that they can gather more light from a smaller sensor and being able to do that will allow it the quality to match or surpass dslr uh within the next couple years now how has the camera industry reacted to that um Nikon has said that they are going to stop production of their DSLR cameras uh and Canon has already stopped uh their high-end DSLR cameras uh so it seems to me and this is not not uh I mean I guess you could say my opinion but based on what I'm reading uh it seems to me that the uh DSLR industry is admitting defeat. It appears that they see that the writing is on the wall uh and that this new technology will uh surpass uh the quality that that can be made through DSLR cameras. Uh but more importantly than that, they already lost the war. And I'll tell you what the war is and always has been and it's something that, uh, all of my journalism professors throughout the years have always stressed to me. And there's a saying, and I've heard every one of them quote it, which is the best camera is the one you have with you. So if you have a studio quality camera, but it's so big that you don't carry it with you, you leave it at home and you never have it when you need it. And you compare that to the phone that's on your cell phone the cell phone's in your pocket all the time. When something happens, you can take a photo. You want to take a photo of your lunch? Your camera's right there. Your kids do something funny? You can take a photo right there. There's an accident. There's um, you know, a beautiful sunset. You're on vacation. Anything that you want, uh, it's right there. That camera is always with you. And so that makes it um, a better camera. So we're not talking about technical quality here we're talking about as a device that captures photographs. The one you have with you is the best. I don't know that. uh, Actually, I'm going to roll that back a little bit. I have seen some stellar photography from modern cell phones, from uh, Android phones, from iPhones. Uh, The quality is so amazing. We have movies now that have been filmed on cell phones. Uh, we have just amazing and outstanding photographs. I'm sure you've taken pictures with your cell phone and showed it to someone, maybe on a computer or printout, and and uh, they've said, gosh, what kind of camera is that? And when you say a cell phone, they're surprised. Maybe you've been surprised uh, with a uh, a photo. I know that I have, definitely. I've taken photos and zoomed in or printed them out, and, and the quality that a phone that fits in your front pocket can provide is, is t- I mean, literally astounding. Uh, I do remember, I believe it was our cruise to Alaska, and that was the last vacation where I took both my DSLR camera and my cell phone. And so we have all these weird vacation folders of digital photos where it will say, Rob's camera, and then Rob's phone. And there's two separate folders. So all the, the pictures that I took with my camera are in one folder, and all the photos that I took with my phone are in another folder. And one thing you'll find is that the ones in the uh, cell phone folder uh, are – there's 10 times as many uh, because you have it with you all the time. There's also a lot of photos in those that can be thrown away. I mean, how often with your cell phone? I know I'll take a picture out a window that ends up being blurry, or uh, you know, a photo of, of uh, you go, oh, look at that guy's shoes, and you take a picture of some guy's shoes. Uh, which if you had just had a regular, uh, you know, regular camera, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily do that. Um, but on the Alaska cruise, I took both, and there were some gorgeous views of glaciers and, uh, just the ocean and, and sunsets and beautiful things, waterfalls, uh, that I took pictures of with my digital camera, uh, and, and, um, they're great photos, but I also took a lot of photos with my cell phone. And when I got home, it just didn't feel like the, the burden of taking the DSLR camera along justified its use. So uh, I still have my Pintax camera and I still feel like if I were going to go shoot something quote unquote serious, uh, that I would take it. But by all accounts, my cell phone has replaced that. And, uh, with the latest news that I read this week about the future of DSLR cameras, I think that's probably the way everything is going. Uh, before I wrap up, I just did a properties view of my two I have two folders for my digital pictures. One is pictures I have taken that's called digital and then I have one called Digital Two, which is scans and and um, you know could be of oh concert tickets or different things like that. so they're not necessarily photos, but they are digital pictures of things. Uh, my digital photo directory says that it is 151 gigabytes with 87,386 files. Uh, And those should all be pictures. Digital 2 is smaller. It is 6.7 gig with 16,186. So combine the two, and I'm basically at 100,000 digital pictures. Um, And don't worry, if you've not listened to my old podcast on backups – Uh, Just know that the server uh, is backed up to a second folder on the server. It is backed up to an external USB device that gets stored off-site, and it's backed up to the cloud. Uh, I can't imagine losing the digital photos. So if you have digital photos, um, if you haven't listened to that episode, or if you don't have a backup Uh, system, then reach out to me or do some online searching and back the stuff up. Because if you're like me, these photographs are literally irreplaceable. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flat. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara, RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RobCasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore.com. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support my shows, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit my page. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Like a DOS, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit com for links and information about these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you now know a little bit more about Flack. We'll see you here next time. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreon listeners like these. For my eight-bit supporters, that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restle, Brian Barr, Chris Fold, C Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Daniel Jaleppa, Dave Velociraptor, Dave Zilly. Happy birthday, Dave! David Hearn, David Modalat, Eric Strainisi, Extend to the Jam, Gabe De Janeiro, Garrett Ellier, Gary Heather. Hacker Radio, Jake NanaMaker, Jason Warren's, John Motocar schaller John Treyholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Ekrock, Mark Alley, Matthew Perron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Morano, Petzl, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor82, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Bird, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossi, Zeke Papsky, Zerfall, and the mysterious Cobra Kai. And for my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, Joe Sharipa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Michael Ryan, Paul Nermix Nermanen. Rick Reynolds, John Hudson Mackay, and Scott Van Dresik, Steve Sharipa, Vintage Volts, Zyke, and Mr. Wacky. <coughs>